Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. How are you doing today? It's good to see you. A um, couple things. If you're brand new, special welcome uh, to you. And, and once a month, uh, we, Lynn and I have a host, a special dessert at our house. It's called the Next Step Dessert. So I want to invite you to that if you're new. Uh, the next one in the evening, it's usually a Saturday night, about 730. Uh, it's at the end of this next month, June 26. Now, that's a long ways away, so why am I bringing up now? Well, because um, we're going to be trying something new this month. Um, in, on June 6th, which is a couple weeks from today, at this service, 11 o'clock service, we're going to do a next step uh, dessert. It's actually going to be a breakfast uh, right here on campus. And, and the reason we're doing that is because we've just kind of, kind of our hunches, there's a lot of you would love to come on Saturday night, but Saturday night doesn't work for you, there's schedule, or maybe you have childcare issues, or some of you are just flat out afraid to come to my house. And uh, so uh, we're going to do uh, kind of a, a next step, uh, kind of a, br- a brunch uh, here at 11 o'clock, uh, two weeks from today. If you'd like to sign up for that, uh, you can you kind of on the back of your car just write next step um, brunch and uh, the June 6th, the date, or you can go online and sign up um, there. But uh, we'll look forward to uh, meeting there. Just a chance for us to share a little bit about the vision values of Rocky Peak, how to get plugged in. Uh, if you're new, it should be really helpful for us to, to learn a little bit about your story, all right? And so uh, that's, that's it in terms of uh, announcements. We're going to go into our time of teaching now. You all ready to go? Okay, good. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful to be gathered here as your people gathered under your name. We're so grateful for what you've done in our lives, a whole new start, a whole new life through, through Jesus Christ and through the power of his spirit coming in, changing us from the inside out. And so, God, we, we, we pray as we come today, God, we're not just going through motions. You know that. We're not just coming because it's Sunday. We're not getting a, a card punch. We're here to meet with you. We're here because we, we want you to teach us the next step of what it means to walk with you. And so we pray that as we come, as we open our hearts, as we open your word, that you would come and be our teacher. You've promised to be that. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today about, about 10 years after the, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the movement of Jesus is really, it's taking off, it's starting to expand. And, and our story starts today about 65 miles to the north and to the west of Jerusalem. And it's a, it's a seaside uh, city. It's the, uh, the capital of the, of the uh, kind of the province, the provincial capital. The name of the city is a city called Caesarea. And uh, it's a very famous city, um, a lot of great architecture today there. In fact, if you weren't today, you could still see architecture from the time of Christ. You'd see the, 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 uh, the man-made harbor, one of the first of its kind, built by Herod the Great. You'd see the, the hippodromes where they would race the horses. You'd see uh, the amphitheater where the Apostle Paul may have I still taught, it's still there today. And so it's, it's the center of the, kind of the province of Judea. It's where the governor would hang out, his his palace, and, and because of that, there was a lot of Roman army there. And so, as our story starts today, he's stationed in the Roman army. He's an officer in, in the Roman army. He's a Roman, he's a, he's a Gentile, uh, he's an officer, and, and yet uh, somehow he's come to be a believer in the God of Israel. He's not, he's not a full on Jew, he's not converted, he's, uh, he's not a proselyte. Yeah, he's not, he's not been circumcised, he doesn't follow the food laws and that sort of thing, and yet. Yet he believes in the God of Israel. And he's, he's, a, he's a very spiritual man. Uh, though he's a, an important leader in the Roman army, he, he's a spiritual man. He, he spends a lot of time in prayer. He gives gifts to the poor. Got a great reputation. He's seeking God. Are you with me? He's, kind of a, he's, he's seeking God in his life. 
And so that afternoon, on this particular day, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he goes into his, his bedroom or wherever he was. He's going to spend some time in prayer because that's when you pray as Jews. You pray at 9, you pray at 12, you pray at 3. So 3 in the afternoon, he's going in to pray and little knowing that what's going to happen in the next few minutes is going to change his life forever. Well, today we're, uh, we're continuing our series. And for those of you who are brand new, a special welcome. We're really glad you're here uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, in this series, the series is called Freedom. It's a study of a letter from the Apostle Paul to um, a, a bunch of churches, a group of churches in the, in the uh, Roman province uh, of Galatia, which is modern day kind of southern Turkey. <clears throat> and if you haven't been here the last few weeks, we've been in this series about four weeks. Uh, let me give you a little backstory. For those of us who've been here, it'll be a quick review. For those who are brand new, bring you up to speed. Here's what happened. Paul and his ministry partner, a man by the name of Barnabas, they, they'd gone into southern Galatia where the message of Jesus had never gone. And they share the basic message of Jesus that it doesn't matter where you've been in your life or what you've done or how far from God, that you can have a relationship with God based on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they share this message, and, and a lot of people come to Christ, and they, they believe, and, and the Holy Spirit comes in their life, and they're changed from the inside out, and there's even miracles happening. Churches are being planted, and, and it's just off to a great start. But then shortly after Paul and Barnabas leave, they're there for a couple of years, shortly after they leave, uh, the, what happens is some new teachers come in, they're false teachers, and they, be, they begin to say, hey, it's great you believe in Jesus, that's a good first step. But if you really want to know God, you truly want to be forgiven, you want to be made right with God, you want to grow up and mature spiritually, you need to do what God's people have always done. You need to embrace the Old Testament laws, the, 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 the kind of circumcision, uh, food laws, uh, you know, uh, uh, worship on the Sabbath, new moon festivals. You need to kind of do all these things. And so they're, they're bringing this new message. And on top of that, they're criticizing the Apostle Paul. They're saying, you know, he's not a real apostle. Uh, he's kind of a wannabe. Uh, he poses as an apostle, but, but he's really, he's just under the authority of the real apostles in Jerusalem. He didn't know Jesus personally. Uh, he kind of got his message from the real apostles in Jerusalem. Now he's changing that message. You can't really trust him. They're on different pages. So if you've been here the last two or three weeks, you know that what the Apostle Paul does in the first two chapters of this letter, he's defending himself, his apostleship. He is a real apostle. Jesus did meet with him. Jesus gave him the message. He didn't get it from Jerusalem. And the apostles in Jerusalem, they're fully supportive. They're all teaching the same thing, right? Well, so today as we go, we're moving into chapter three, and it's a, it, we're kind of a new section of the letter. And in this section, he's not so much defending his apostleship, he's defending the message of Jesus, what he calls the gospel, right? And so he's defending this message, and, and it's interesting how he's going to start. What you might expect is that he would say, hey, let's, let me defend this message of Jesus. Let's go to our, our Bibles, our Old Testament. Let's kind of unpack this. Let's see what the Bible says and defend it that way. Or maybe theologically, he'd try to defend it. But he doesn't do either. What he does is he defends it by going to their experience. He says, look, I just have one question. I want to go back to when you first came to Jesus. I want to talk about what happened when the Holy Spirit came into your life. Let's start the discussion there. And so if you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, we're only going to be looking at five verses today. But that doesn't mean you're getting out early, so don't give your hopes up. Okay, Galatians 3 and verse 5, you see there's a, a section on your note sheet, there is called the gift of the Spirit, God's signature uh, on the message. And so let's jump in. Uh, 3 1, Galatians 3 1. 
uh, you foolish Galatians. <laughs> Great way to start a letter, right? Hey, fools, um, idiots, uh, morons, uh, let's talk. <laughs> uh, it's funny, you kind of miss it. You know, you miss it because you're so comfortable with it. But, um, but uh, you foolish Galatians, uh, you know, we've seen all through this letter, Paul's pretty passionate about what he's talking about. And he is, they, their, their whole relationship with Jesus is at stake. I mean, if they buy into this new teaching that it's not what we, it's, it's what we do that gets our relationship with God, that it's, it's, it's our spiritual resume, it's our, if they buy into this line, they're going to lose their relationship with Jesus altogether. And so, uh, so he's coming on strong, and, and he loves these people. They're very close. They're closer to there. So he just, he just kind of tells it like it is, you foolish Galatians. Uh, who has bewitched you? Uh, who's pulled the wool over your eyes? Who, in the Greek, it literally says, uh, who cast a spell over you? It's like you're under a spell. He says, uh, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He says, you know, when, when we were there, when Paul and Barnabas, when we, he says, when Barnabas and I were there, and we shared the message of Jesus. We, we told you about the cross of Jesus. We, we, we explained clearly why Jesus had to die, how Jesus died in our place, right? We talked about that last week. He became the curse for us. We laid this out so clearly, why he had to die. And now you're like throwing that away as if it's nothing. Like who's bewitched you? Like what's happened to you? Like you're, you're, how, how foolish can you be? You know, you're going to lose your relationship altogether. And so he says, uh, verse 2, I just want to learn one thing from you. I just have one question. Just answer me this, and we'll be done. You know, of course he's not. He's going to go on for four more chapters. But he said, just one question, just one thing uh, that I want to know. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Like when you came to Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. Did that happen by observing the law? Did, like, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit because you started, you got circumcised, you started eating kosher, you started uh, kind of going to church on the Sabbath? You, you know, is that what happened? Or um, did you get it by, uh, did you receive the Spirit by believing what you heard? Okay, so this is his question. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, how did that happen for your life? He said, answer me that question and to be clear. What I'm claiming is that this message I'm bringing about Jesus and your relationship with God is not based on your, your, uh, your performance, based on him. When you believe that, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed that or when you started following all these old rules? Like, how did you get the Holy Spirit? Just tell me that, okay? Now, now, of course, the, the point is, is, of course, he knows how they got the Holy Spirit. I mean, he was there. They received the Holy Spirit not by observing the law. They never observed the law he went, while he was there. That didn't happen. Uh, the, the way they received it, just by believing. And, and what he's going to be saying today, and we'll talk about this more later, is that's the, when you receive the Holy Spirit, that's the ultimate side that you've been made right with God. It's the ultimate sign you've been forgiven. The gift of the Spirit is the ultimate sign of the new era that you've entered in. And so that's the ultimate God's signature saying this is the right message. Like whatever message leads to the coming of the Spirit, you're like, that is the right message. That's his point. Now verse three, uh, just in case they missed it in verse one, uh, are you so foolish? <laughs> uh, let's go back to that theme. Uh, and here's his question. After beginning with the Spirit, so you began your spiritual journey. Uh, you began by trusting in Christ. You, you began by receiving the Holy Spirit, following his leading your life. Are, are you now trying to attain your goal, or it's become spiritually mature, uh, become right with God by human effort, by, by keeping all these laws? 
Um, have you suffered, verse 4, have you suffered so much for nothing? Um, apparently, they'd gone through some persecution. This was very common in the early church. Uh, the gospel goes into an area, people become Christians. There's often persecution, often from the Jewish community around that sees it as a heresy. And so he said, apparently, they'd gone through some suffering. And he says, have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? There's a chance, you, you, if you have a different version of the Bible other than New Inter- International, it may say, have you experienced so much for nothing? And the reason it says that is because in the, in the Greek, uh, this language, this verb can be translated, have you suffered so much or have you experienced so much? And so it, it could go either way. So he could be saying, have you experienced so much of the Holy Spirit in your life for nothing? Like you're going to go back and change course now after all you've experienced. But either way, the point is the same. The point is, hey, you've come so far, are you going to go, are you going to change routes now? Are you going to kind of get out, get out a different horse now? You're going to kind of go a different direction. And then in verse 5, he comes back to the question he asked in verse 3, just expands it. Does God give you the Holy Spirit? Does God give you the Spirit, and does he work miracles? So apparently, not only are they receiving of the Holy Spirit, but also uh, miracles are happening in the churches. He says, does that happen because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? You know, like, like how did this happen? Okay, so big picture. The, the question is, you know, Paul's Paul's brought the gospel. He's being criticized by these false leaders. It's not the real gospel. Here's the real gospel. He says, okay, let's settle this issue. I just want to know, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because if you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law, then okay, then that's the way God works. But if you receive the Holy Spirit by just trusting in Jesus, then that's the way God works. So you tell me, like, how did this happen for you? And it's obviously, they, he knows the answer that they, they received. And so that, his point is, this proves that God is putting his signature on the message that I brought. Are you with me on this? You follow? Okay, so that's the passage. Now, in the time that we have together, I want to unpack this, and there's kind of three major principles that flow out today that I think really speak to us as what it means to be a Christ follower. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section. It's called the Following Jesus, a Supernatural Journey. And there's kind of three points I want to make, and we'll just kind of dive in. So here we go. Uh, Number one, and this is kind of the main point Paul is making, is that the gift of the Spirit is the sign of relationship. The gift of the Spirit is kind of the ultimate sign of, of relationship with God, that we've been made right with God, that we have a new relationship. Okay? So are you with me? This is the main point Paul is making, is that how do you know that you have a relationship with God? How do you know you've truly been forgiven? How do you know that, that you've been made right with God? You've moved from being an enemy of God, like we talked about last week. You've moved to being a child of God, a son of God, a daughter. Like, how do you know that? And Paul, his, his point is, it's the gift of the Spirit. If, if you've received the Holy Spirit, you've obviously moved into this new relationship with God. Now, this is sort of foreign for us, a foreign way of thinking. And I think part of it is because as Christ followers today, that we're so used to the idea of receiving the Holy Spirit. It's just kind of very commonplace to us. And we kind of miss historically what this was like. You see, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, God had predicted a day, that there a day would come when the Holy Spirit would be given to all people. Men, women, Jews, Gentiles, I mean the Holy Spirit would be given to all the earth. This is not the way it was before Jesus came. Uh, you think back in history, you've got the, the Jewish nation, God's chosen people, 
And yet, even there, the, the Jews didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Only a few Jews were gifted with the Holy Spirit. A few key leaders, a few key um, prophets, a few key uh, uh, kings, they were, they were anointed with the Holy Spirit. But by and large, most people didn't receive the Holy Spirit. And so in the Old Testament, the prophets predicted that one day there would come a new era to the human race, a whole new era. And, and the, one of the signs of this new era was that the Holy Spirit would come upon the whole human race. He would be poured out. That, that, that God would no longer live in a temple made by hands, that God would live in the temple of our lives. You know, so in the New Testament, Paul talks about we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've come to Jesus, that, that, that the Spirit's been given. And so the prophets predicted this. And they often associated this with the coming of the Messiah. That when Messiah comes, it will usher in this whole new era of the human race. It will be the era of the Holy Spirit where God will come and dwell with us, right? And so, and so this, when you open the New Testament, the first thing you, you run into in the New Testament is the story of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the first prophet who's been there for 400 years. And when John comes, he, he goes out to the Jordan River. He's baptizing people for a repentance of sin. The whole nation's flooding to him. And, and part of his message is, hey, I'm not the Messiah. There's one coming after me who is the Messiah. And when he comes, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He, he will initiate, are you with me in this? He'll initiate this whole new era of the human race where the Spirit will be given. See? So, for example, <coughs> there in your note sheet, in John chapter 1, um, this is John the Baptist talking. And you remember when Jesus was baptized, you remember how the Holy Spirit came down on him in the form of a dove uh, after he came up from the water. And so, here's what John says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I would not have known him, in other words, I would not have recognized that he was the Messiah, except that the one who sent me to baptize with water. So who's that? Hello, thank you. Hello. Let's try it again. Except that the one who sent me to baptize with water, who would be? God, very good. Okay, he told me, this is what God told me when, I, when he said, he said, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain on is he who will what? baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who will usher in this whole new era. Are you getting the, the historical sense of proportion here? It's like the coming of the Spirit, it's not just like one little thing. It's like this is a whole new era in the human race, prophesied in the Old Testament. Now, later in John, Jesus talked about this. For those of you who were here in our last series, John chapter 7, Feast of Tabernacles. You remember where Jesus on the last day, the eighth day, last and greatest day of the feast, where they're doing the water ceremonies, they're bringing the, the water up from the pool of Siloam, they're pouring it on the, the, the altar, the temple, it's this big ceremony. Jesus stands up and he cries out in a loud voice and he says, if any of you are thirsty, let him come to me and drink because you know, I'm the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of the human heart. And, and so he, he makes a statement. And then John the Apostle comments on that statement. So look there on your note sheet, the next passage, in John chapter 7. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, in other words, prophesied in the Old Testament, streams of living water will flow from within him, and then John adds his editorial comment, and John says, by this he means the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
Now, when would they receive the Holy Spirit later? It was on the day of Pentecost, right? So after Jesus dies, goes back to heaven, about a week, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. You're going to study that in your life group homework this week. And then John goes on, he says, up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so in the Gospel of John, for Jesus to be glorified means he goes to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of the human race. So you catch what John's saying. The Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out on the human race because atonement for the sins of the nation or for the, for the world had not happened yet. Once the atonement happened, once the, Jesus died for the sins of the world, it opens up the door for God to pour out himself on the human race in a new way and to come and dwell within us. So are you with me in this? Okay, so historically we have to understand what's going on here. And so so what happens is, is for us today, we're so, we're so comfortable and common with the idea that when a person gives their life to Jesus, they receive the Holy Spirit, we miss the significance of this, of what a big deal this is. But you see this in the early church. They, they understood this. For example, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that one of the stories we looked at was in Acts chapter 10. And this was a story of Peter. Remember, Apostle Peter, it's what, five, ten years after the resurrection, He's on his rooftop praying one day. He's noon. It's noon. He's getting hungry. Remember this? And, and all of a sudden, there's this huge, he's got this vision with this sheet, like a, a sail is being let down from heaven. And, and, and in this vision, he sees all these unkosher animals that are inside. And God speaks. He says, Peter, get up, kill, and barbecue. And so uh, Peter goes, I've never, I've never eaten anything unkosher. And, and God says, no, hey, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. And, and so what, what Peter's beginning to understand is that there's a new era in the human race. The old rules and regulations are passing and, and that God is going to be moving on all people. He can't call pe- certain people Jews clean and Gentiles unclean. God's going to be moving on everyone. And so he gets done with the vision, goes downstairs. There's these three messengers, you remember, and they're from this, uh, this Roman officer named Cornelius. Okay, so that's the story we started the day with. Cornelius is the Roman officer. He's stationed in the Italian regiment. He's in Caesarea, which is 30 miles away. Uh, he's a Gentile, never converted to Judaism, but really taken with the God of Israel. And so he's praying to the God of Israel. He's serving the God of Israel. He's giving to the poor. He's a God seeker. And two days before Peter has his vision, Cornelius goes in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to spend some time with God, and God shows up and tells him, you need to go send for a man named Peter who's staying down in Joppa. Okay, so now two days later, now Peter's coming back to share. This is something Peter would never have done. He never would have shared the message of Jesus with a Gentile outside of his, his scope of understanding. But as he comes in, he begins to share the message. It's, he da- it's dawning on what's going on. He shares the message of Jesus with this Gentile. And, and you remember, like, towards the end of his message, all of a sudden, God says, time out, Peter. Good job. Sit down. I don't want you to mess this up. And so there in your note sheet, we, we have what Luke's account of what happened. And so in chapter 10, 
it says, uh, of Acts, it says, while Peter was still speaking this word. So picture this. He's in Cornelius' house. The place is packed. It's Cornelius. It's his extended family. It's closest friends. They've all come to hear this message. He has just shared with them the message of Jesus. And, and it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And so the circumcised believers, these would be like the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They were just blown away. They, they just never saw this day coming in human history. Even though it was predicted in the Old Testament, even though Jesus had said go into all the world, it's, still, it's just beyond their scope. And they're just like, can you believe it? The age of the Spirit has come, and not just on us, but on the whole world. On the gen- and they're just blown away by this. This was an incredible event in the history of the world, this coming of the Spirit to Cornelius. And so Peter says, well, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water, which was kind of the official way to enter into the body of Christ, become a Christian? He says, they have received the Holy Spirit as we have. And so, so he orders that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so this is a historic moment. And so here's what I want you to catch. The coming of the Spirit on a person's life is the ultimate sign They've been accepted by God through the death of Christ. Are you with me? Are you following this? And this is what Paul is saying now in Galatians 3. Now, stepping back, you can understand what he's saying to these Gentile believers. He says, hey, you want to know if the message of Jesus is really the true message, whether it's by faith alone in the death of Christ? You want to know if it's true? Then answer me one question and one question only. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because whatever it took to receive the Holy Spirit, that's a true message. Because that is the ultimate gift that shows that you're accepted by God, you've been forgiven, you've been turned from an enemy into a child. Are you with me on this? And so, and so, of course, the answer is, well, we just believed in Jesus. We didn't start doing any laws. He's like, yeah, exactly the point. Exactly the point. That proves it's God's signature on the message. And so here's what I want you to catch. Is that if you were to ask me, well, Mike, what would be like a definition of a Christian? A Christ follower. Like, how would you define a, a Christian? I would say, well, the New Testament defines it a couple ways. One way to define it would be say a, a, a Christian or a Christ follower is someone who believes in the death of Jesus on their behalf. Right? That's we would all agree with that, right? But there's another way the New Testament defines it. It's like this: it's anyone who's received the Holy Spirit. Are you with me in this? That that from the New Testament perspective. These are two sides of the same coin. There is no such thing as a, a, a person who believes in Jesus who's not received the Holy Spirit. And catch this, there's no one who's received the Holy Spirit who doesn't believe in Jesus. See, these go together. They're inseparable. And, and once you understand this, you see this throughout the New Testament. For example, there on your note sheet, just a couple examples But Romans 8 and verse 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. See, it's the mark of a believer. Or in 1 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul picks up on John the Baptist's language about baptism in the Spirit. He says, We were all, talking about to the church in Corinth, look, we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, you know, Cornelius or Peter, we're all in this together, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. So here's what I'm going to catch. For us, the ultimate sign 
of relationship, that we've been forgiven, that we are children of God, that we've moved from enemies to children. The ultimate sign, Paul says, is the reception of the gift of the Holy Spirit. That, that's the key. This, this defines what a follower of Jesus is. Now, this is very foundational, right? So this is foundation. We'll build on that from this point on in the message. Now, number two, the second principle he wants to lay out is that spiritual growth is a supernatural experience. One of the key principles, concepts that Paul is laying out here is he wants us to understand that spiritual growth, this process of, of coming to Christ and becoming like Jesus, which is the whole point of following Jesus, right? We, we follow him to become like him. That this, this is a supernatural process. It's a supernatural journey from beginning to end. Now, I think this is something we, we, we often we miss. We, we often, I think what we understand is we understand as Christ followers that coming to Jesus is a supernatural process, don't we? Like, like, I don't know when you came to Jesus. Like, if you came to Jesus when you're four years old, you may not remember this. Uh, when you, if you came to Jesus when you're four years old, chances are um, you don't have a great before and after story. Like, I, oh, man, I was so wild, and then I met Jesus when I was four, and whew, changed my life, I'm telling you. You know, it's just like, wow, what a difference, night and day. My mom couldn't believe it. You know, it's just like, what happened to you? I came to Jesus. That's it. That explains it. I, you know. So, so if, if you came to Jesus when you were very young, that you may not be able to, you may have to kind of project or imagine this a little bit more. Um, but, but if you came to Jesus later on, you, you understand it. That, that before you came to Jesus, you may have been an atheist. You may have been an agnostic. Uh, you, you may have been kind of a new ager. You, you, you may have been just, you may have been other religion. You may have just kind of been, well, I believe there's some kind of God out there. But, but God is distant. God's unreal. And, and you may have very likely, as you, as you met Christians, kind of thought, that's so weird. You know, this, uh, this whole Jesus thing, I just don't get it. And the whole thing's kind of weird, right? And so then, then you come to Jesus, and all of a sudden, it's like someone takes the scales off your eyes. And it's like, whoa, uh, where was I all these? Like, how did I miss that, right? And, and the light goes on, and it's like all making sense. And, and so you look, it's so clear that it was supernatural, like Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Spirit draws him. It's like so clearly supernatural. And so as Christ followers, we get that, that coming to Jesus is supernatural. But, what, but what, what Paul wants us to understand is that it's not just coming to Jesus is supernatural. The whole spiritual growth process is supernatural from beginning to end. And, and this is why, the, this is the point that the Galatians were missing. They didn't get this. That's why he says they were so foolish they thought that you come to Jesus one way, supernaturally, by faith through the work of the Spirit, and then you, from that point on, it's kind of up to you to grow. It's up to you now, you're a Christ follower, it's up to you to grow and to kind of get your act together, you're kind of on your own. That's kind of what they thought. And so you see this in chapter 3 and verse 3. This is his point. <laughs> Galatians 3 and verse 3 says, are you so foolish? Well, what do you mean? Well, after beginning with the Spirit, as you started your spiritual journey supernaturally through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal? What's your goal? To be right with God? To grow spiritually? To become like Jesus? To mature? That's how we describe it. He says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now going to try to attain your goal by what? 
by, by flesh or by human effort, if you have an NIV. In other words, this was, their, this was what the false teachers were saying. It's great you believed in Jesus. You started your journey. You received the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. But now you need to do this. You need to start worshiping on these certain days. You need to start eating kosher. You, you need to get circumcised. Hey, can I put that off to last? Uh, can, you, know, uh, you need to, like, new moon festivals. You, know? um, you need to, like, uh, every month when the new moon comes up, you need to kind of do these certain festivals. And, like, why do we need to do that? Because if you don't do that, you're not going to grow spiritually. You're not going to become like Jesus. God's not going to be happy with you. This is what you need to do. That's what they were teaching them. And so they're like, okay, well, that makes sense, you know. So Paul says, don't you realize what you're saying is you start your spiritual life one way by trusting in Jesus and the work of his spirit, and now you're going to be perfecting yourself, maturing a whole different way through your own self-effort. You see how this works? Now, there's another passage where the Apostle Paul kind of lays this out even more clearly. Kind of same concept, uh, in fact, same verbiage in the Greek, but a little bit more clear. And I put it there in your note sheet. It's Philippians 1.6. And for a lot of you, I know it's a familiar verse. But here's how it goes. Uh, Paul says, I'm confident of this, um, absolutely convinced of this, that he who began a good work in you. Now, who is that? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. He who began a good work in you, God, God, so God begins the work. We're all clear on that. No one comes to Jesus except the Father draws him. It's supernatural, clear. So he who began a good work in you, he will, catch us, carry it on to win, to completion. So in other words, God doesn't just start the work. He fit, so help me out here. Who starts the work? God, who finishes the work? God. Who carries the work out every step along the way? God, see, see, it's a God journey. It's a supernatural experience journey all the way through. Like we don't come to Jesus one way and then grow in Jesus another way. Does this make sense? This is a supernatural. This is what they didn't get. This is what they, they, were, they were making a mistake in. So here's the thing. Here's what I found in our Christian life, that, that this is an easy mistake to fall into. And let, me, let me kind of describe, see if you can relate to this. So you come to Jesus. Now, again, if you're four years old, use your imagination. But if you come to Jesus, and spiritually, you are an idiot, right? I won't ask for a show of hands. But, like, do you remember when you came to Jesus? Like, I remember when my wife came to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying she was an idiot, but you know what I'm saying. When my wife came to Jesus, like all she knew, and this is her description, all I knew was that I needed what he was talking about. I, I, didn't, I didn't totally understand. I didn't understand about, you know, his death and our place and the whole thing. You know, and the whole, I didn't, all I knew, he was talking about Jesus, he gave an invitation, and I needed what he was talking about. That's it. Didn't know, you see what I'm saying? And this is how it often starts, right? Like we don't. We, we, we come in, we're kind of idiots. Like, we don't really know. We, we don't really know we're supposed to read our Bible. Like, someone's got to give us a Bible. Say, this would be a good idea to read, right? We don't know we're supposed to pray. We don't know how to pray. Remember that? They're like, oh, I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. Just talk to God. I don't know how to do that. Just talk. I don't know. Just talk. <laughs> just, uh, just say something. What would you say? No, but I don't know. You know it's like, we don't know what to do. 
that we don't know how to serve, we don't know how to give, we don't know how to love people, we don't know how to do relationships in a new way. It's like we're just new at this. All, all we know is that something's happened to us, that God's come into our lives, something's happened, it's very cool, and our life has changed, and it's supernatural. And so what do we do? We just trust in God, right? We trust in the Holy Spirit. And so, and so we just kind of, God, would you lead me and save me and help me? Like, I don't know what to do, would you just help me? And so God brings a person into our life, and, and they have, hey, here's something you need to know. He's like, oh, thank you, and you learn that. And then you go to church, and that you hear a message, and so a light goes on. Oh, I need to do this. And, and, then, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're praying one day, and all of a sudden, there's, this relationship comes to mind, and you just sense, I'm not supposed to be pursuing that anymore. That's not, and and just, it's kind of supernaturally, you just begin, you know, the Holy Spirit comes like a mentor, like a coach, and you step by step just kind of opens our eyes to the next thing, right? That's how it starts. It's very supernatural, isn't it? And you feel very bumbly lots of times, but it's clearly supernatural. Okay, let's fast forward five years. You've now been a Christian five years. You, know, you now know how to read your Bible. You now know how to pray. You're very good. You, need to, you even know how to say in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of every prayer. You know, it's like, you know how to do that. And, and so you, you know how to pray, and, and you've started giving, and you're serving, and you're, you're doing this, and you've shared Christ with your friends, and, and you're kind of getting it down. And, and all of a sudden, one day you realize, though, that, that the joy is kind of gone from your life. That, that, that it's like you believe in Jesus, and it's all you believe, but, but it's kind of become a burden. You know, you've got all these rules you're supposed to do, and do this, and do that, and do this, and that, and, and you've got all these things, and it's getting kind of burdensome. And the worst part of it is you're not changing anymore. When you first came to Jesus, you were like changing all the time, and now it just seems you're kind of static, and you've kind of lost your joy, and you're trying to figure like, what happened? And like, I've got all the right stuff, and I'm doing the right stuff. And here's what's happened. Subtly, over time, subtly, not suddenly, subtly, subtle, subtly, uh, subtly, over time, put the B in, uh, subtly, over time, what's happened is that you have, you started by the Spirit. You were trusting the Spirit, right? Because you didn't know what else to do. You're an idiot. I'm just going to trust God. I'm an idiot. I'll just trust God. Over time, you've gotten very smart. And now you are trusting yourself to grow. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> it's like, Mike, you're done. It's noon. Uh, uh, you, oh, you see what's happened over time? Like we've learned the rules, and now we've started trusting the rules. Oh, oh I'm going to trust in, I, I'm, I know how to spend time with God. I know how to pray. I know how to give. I know, and, and now I'm not really trusting Jesus to grow me. I'm trusting in the rules. And all of a sudden, the life has gone out, and the joy has gone out, and the power has gone out, and we're not changing, and we can't figure it. Can I tell you something? The one thing that releases the power of God in our life is faith. It's trust. You look all through the Bible. It's when we trust that the power is released. And if we're trusting in our Bible study, and we're trusting in our going to a life group, and we're trusting in our giving, in our sharing, in our serving, in our, we're trusting in ourselves. the life goes out. Because we really, we started by the Spirit, but now we're being perfected by human effort. You see? So here's a question for you. The question is, who has primary responsibility in your life for your growth? Who has primary responsibility? Is your primary, are you trusting yourself to grow yourself, or are you trusting in the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and grow? That's an important question. Um, you know, the funny thing is, 
is that, that when we're trusting the Holy Spirit, he, he's going to be doing it. He's going to be leading us to spend time in the Word. He's going to be leading us to prayer. He's going to be learning us to serve. It's not that these things are bad. These are the way that God grows. But, but it's the, our trust in him that releases the power that comes through those things, not the things themselves. Um, let me give you an example. In your Bible, look at Galatians 2.20. <laughs> this is uh, from last week's passage, and I didn't go into it in great detail because I knew we'd be covering it this week. But Paul kind of summarizes the Christian life in a nutshell. And, and he uses kind of uh, enigmatic language um, like he often does. But here, here what he says, verse 20, he says, um, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, basically, if I could put it, I think this is how he'd put it. You know, I came to a point in my life where I realized that, that I could not be what I need to be. I can't change myself. I, I don't have that capacity. And so when Jesus died, uh, I died with him. I, he didn't just die for me for the forgiveness of my sins. He died in my place. Like he took me with him to the cross because me and my old self, I, I, it's, inca- it's impossible for me to be what I'm supposed to be. And so he died in my place, and I died with him. And, and then I came alive again by the power of his spirit. And so he says, um, I, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But, but what? What does he say next? But Christ lives where? In me. Okay? So are you catching? This is the message of the New Testament, that, that Jesus died for us, justification, and we talked about last week, so that he could live in us, which is sanctification. That's the two sides of the coin. He dies for us so that he can live in us. And then he goes on and he says, uh, the life I live in the body, like every day, I live by what? By faith in the Son of God. I, I'm trusting Jesus to live his life in me. I, I'm trusting him to lead me. I'm trusting him to change me. I'm trusting him to guide me. And, I, and, and as he does, and as he leads, and he guides, and as I follow, he's living his life in me, then, then I'm going to be changed, and I'll, I'll be like him. And, and so there's a great freedom that comes to our life, and this is the freedom we talked about last week. There is a great freedom that we, we, we come to our life, we realize that my relationship with God is not based on my performance, it's based on his performance on the cross. And the moment that that, that kind of clicks in, and I begin to trust in Jesus, his death for me, there is a great freedom that comes into my life, right? There's a freedom. It's like I don't have to earn God's approval uh, I, I've been forgiven based on Christ. There's a freedom. Are you with me in this? There's freedom that comes. Well, let me tell you, there's another freedom that comes into our life when we learn that the Christian life is not me gutting it out. It's not like I, I got saved supernaturally, but now I'm like on my own willpower making this thing happen. There is a freedom that comes when we begin to realize that Jesus lives in us, and we're going to trust him. We're going to trust him to lead us. We're going to trust him to guide us. We're going to trust him to change us. We're going to follow what he says you see, the, the spiritual growth process is, is not just when we just start by faith, we continue by faith. And it's supernatural every step along the way. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So let's go to number three. Uh, number three, and, uh, and I like this one. Uh, it's a great point Paul's making. Um, and it goes like this. The spiritual experience, what I call firsthand spiritual experience, with God, the spiritual experience is a big deal. 
And what I mean is, is this, that like when I was growing up, which I realized was increasingly a long time ago, but when I was growing up, this is a message that I, I constantly got, is that if you want to grow in Christ, the key is the Word of God. The key is to hold on to the Word of God. Like, don't trust your feelings. Don't trust your experience. Just hold on to the Word of God, because the Word of God can be trusted, and it's like an anchor, and our feelings, they can't be trusted. Our experiences can't be trusted. So just hold on to the Word of God. In fact, we even had, the, uh, back in the day, you know, we had the, the, the little, uh, kind of little diagram of the train, right? You had the kind of fact uh, was the first car, and then you had faith, the second car, and you had uh, feeling, the third car, the caboose, and who needs a caboose, right? So the uh, whole idea was, you come to Jesus, you just kind of, you just base your life on his word, and if you base your life on your word, you will do well. Now, there's a part of that message that I love, uh, and you, you know me well here, you know my passion for the word. Uh, I love the word. I think it's the path to life, it's the key to truth, right? So I love the word, and so there's nothing wrong with that part of it. The part of it is where we've downplayed experience. Because what you find as you read the New Testament is the New Testament tells us over and over again that our relationship with Jesus is not just cerebral. It's not just mental. It's not just uh, based on doctrine. It's not just theology, right? It's a firsthand living experience. And so it's not like it's the word only, but it's the word and it's the spirit. And both parts are equally important. We have to hold on to the word. We have to hold on to the spirit. They work together. In fact, next week we'll talk about the second part of this equation, the word. So this week's is, is, is point is the, the, the spirit. And here's what I want you to catch. This is Paul's point today. This is Paul's point. He's, remember, he's arguing theology, right? That's what he's doing in this passage. He's arguing theology. Is this theology right, that we're made right with God by faith in Christ alone? Or is this theology right? that we're made right with God by Jesus plus all these rules. Like, which one's right? And that's the argument. We're having a theological argument. So what you'd expect is the Apostle Paul would go to theology. He goes to the Bible, but he doesn't. He goes to their experience. And he says, I just have one question for you. How did you receive the Holy Spirit? Let's just settle this. How did you, because that is the ultimate sign. Your experience with the Holy Spirit is the ultimate proof that this message that I'm bringing is the right message. Are you with me on this? You follow? And so what this says is that obviously their experience with the Holy Spirit had to be very real and very tangible for this argument to even make sense. I, I, in, in Christendom today, there'd be many times, if I had a conversation with someone, I said, okay, well, let me ask you, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? A lot of, of Christ would say, well, what do you mean? Like, well, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? I don't know. Well, how do you know there is a Holy Spirit? Because they told me it says so in the Bible, right? Like, we would have very often have very little experience. Like, like Paul's argument often wouldn't even work with us because we don't, like, well, what do you mean? We don't, we, we don't, we don't follow. And so, so this is the, the, uh, the point that Paul's making is that spiritual experience is, it, it's a big deal. That, that we are our relationship with God is not just to be designed by take it by faith, uh, doctrinally believe it, theology cerebral. It's, it's meant to be a firsthand living, tangible experience. That's what it's designed. And if it's not, we're not experiencing our birthright. Hmm? Um, great story. Uh, one of the, the top Christian leaders of the 20th century was a man, I'm sure a lot of you heard him, his name was Francis Schaeffer. Uh, he had a wife named Edith. And and so uh, here's his story. You know, he comes to Christ. He goes to seminary, uh, gets all the Bible learning down, theology down. 
he and his wife, Edith, they go over to Europe in post-World War uh, to Europe to, to minister over there. And so you catch this. He's, he's well-educated. He knows his Bible like the back of his hand. He's very committed. He's overseas. He's, he's a missionary. He's been born again. He's trusted in Christ. That's who he is. But in his own personal life, he just feels a lack of power. He feels a lack of a sense of God's presence. He doesn't sense like a closeness to God. There's very little experience in his life. And so he begins to read his Bible to figure out what's wrong. And page after page, it talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he begins thinking, well, in my life, like I, I don't experience that. Like what's wrong with this? In fact, one morning he has breakfast with his wife, Edith, and who's a you know, committed Christ follower in her own right. And he says, Edith, what would we do if like every reference to the Holy Spirit was suddenly miraculously taken out of our Bibles? Like if there were no Holy Spirit, like how would we live our lives day to day differently? And they looked at each other and they realized that they wouldn't do anything differently. And this was a wake-up call, and so they began to seek God. And like, God, we, we need to understand this. Well, we are not living New Testament Christianity. We're living something else, a truncated version, a second-hand experience. We are not living what the New Testament described. And so they began to seek God and pray to God that he would show them and study the word. And, and you know, for, for many believers today, I think we'd be the same way. Like if we were to say, like, what would happen if in your Bibles we pulled out every reference to the Holy Spirit? Like, how would you do your life differently if that happened? I think for a lot of us, we'd have to say the same thing. If we're honest, like, we really wouldn't do any different, you see? And the, the great thing is, in their life, they went on this search. You know, in the Bible, it says, God says so many times, if you seek, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And they went on this search, and it was serious. It wasn't just a, a breakfast table, you know, discussion. They, they were going to seek after God. We want to find the answers to this. And the end result was just a new work of the Holy Spirit in their life that transformed their life, and they went on to be two of the greatest leaders of the 20th century for the church of Jesus. But, but it all came from, it came from this search. And so, so here's the question I have for you today. The question I have for you is, is, are you experiencing the Holy Spirit in your life? Now, my hunch is, is that a lot of us are experiencing the Holy Spirit. We just don't recognize it. Uh, I think for others of us, we're really not. So let me just ask you some questions. And these questions will both help you to kind of identify some of his action so you can follow it more closely or, or to, to kind of say, yeah, I'm not experiencing that. Something's wrong. I need to, I need to be seeking him. Um, let, me, let me just give you some, some questions. Have, how often do you have this experience? That you're reading your Bible on your own. And, uh, well, first of all, do you have that experience? <laughs> uh, that might be a good sign, you know, because if, like, we don't have a love for the word at all, then there's something wrong, right? Holy Spirit's not really active. So, but, well, let's say, how many, do, you're reading the Bible, you're reading it on your own, and, uh, and, and a verse just comes alive. It just it speaks to you with power. It's, it's either spiritual insight or it's giving you counsel on what you need to do. And, and, and are you experiencing that? Or, or having this, you're just reading the word, and as you're reading, you're just finding it's nourishing you. It's just like you're seeing the truth that's being described, and, and you're getting it, you're following it. It's, just, it's kind of enriching. You almost feel like, like eating bread, except you're, you're eating the word, and it's just like it's filling you. you know, is that a normal, especially a normal experience in our life? Uh, here's another question. Uh, do you ever have this uh, experience? You come to church and you feel like the sermon is just for you, right? I know a lot of you have that experience. Um, 
I promise you it isn't. Right? It wasn't just for you. I didn't have your picture up there all week long. God, if you could reach this person, it would be a miracle. Right? And so just, let's just, what do they need to hear? Right? It's not like that. Like what's happening is that when you experience that, the Holy Spirit is taking the word and he's applying it to your life and saying this is for you. Um, are you experiencing the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are there times where you just sense you turn a corner and for no apparent reason, he's putting a new desire in you that's a, a, a desire for, it could be for a ministry, a desire to reach out, a desire to let go of, a, a, of an area of sin, uh, an area of relationship that's broken, that you're all suddenly just feeling a, a stirring inside of you. I need to make that right. See, uh, are you sensing him changing you from the inside out? Uh, are you sensing his direction at times? Are you sensing um, that at a core level of character, Jesus is changing you? That, that you're, you're more kind than you were two years ago. You're more generous than you were uh, six months ago. You're, you're, you're more uh, compassionate. You have more courage. Something is ha- at a core level, you are changing and you're becoming more like Jesus. Now, here's a question. Uh, how about your passion? Like, as we follow Jesus, as the Holy Spirit's work in our life, I guarantee one of the things he does is he creates a greater passion for the things of God. That that the things of God become more important, and the things of this world become less important the more we walk with him. It's just the way it is. And so, like, like what's your great, like, like, do you have a greater passion for Jesus or the Lakers, for example, Right? Now, I realize that's a tough one because they're winning right now. A couple of weeks may not be so tough. But, uh, but, but what's your greatest passion? You know, for some of us, we are more passionate about our remodel project or, or our project at work or our kids or this relationship or getting that car. Or we, you see what I'm saying? That we are more passionate about the things of this world than we are about Jesus and about the things that matter, the things that last. One of the marks of the Holy Spirit is that when he's working, there's an increasing passion for things that we would all agree with are the things that really matter. It's one of the things that happens, you see? And so, so the question is, are you experiencing the Holy Spirit in your life? Are, are there times where you feel promptings from him? to speak up for him or to change the direction. It's just kind of a prompting. It comes from nowhere. You're talking with someone and you, just, you sense the Holy Spirit just saying, hey, just speak up. Invite them to church or just make this. Are you sensing his promptings in your life? Okay, that gives you enough, I think, to, to work with. So the question is, um, if you're not or if you're hungry for more, here's what I want to challenge you with. Um, I, I want to challenge you that you would ask him, that, that you would have a co- an eyeball-to-eyeball conversation with Jesus where you would ask him to release the Holy Spirit in new ways in your life. I'm not talking about just kind of a quick, you know, uh, over breakfast, God, you know, thanks for the Cheerios, and would you please release the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm talking about one of those serious eyeball-to-eyeball, Jesus, you and me, I'm serious about this. I, I really want to know you. I want to experience the work of your Spirit. It's my birthright. Uh, we're in this new era of the Spirit. I, I heard what Mike said. I've seen the Word. I get it, but I'm not experiencing you, and I want to experience you. And so would you come into my life, and would you, would you release your Holy Spirit in new ways in my life and teach me what that's about? You know, Jesus said this one time. Uh, he was talking to his men about prayer, 
And he's basically saying, hey, look, you guys, you know, you're bad fathers. You're just, you're just kind of just normal guys, you know. Um, but you still know how to give good gifts to your kids. And how much more does your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? So, so keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. Those who seek, find. Those who ask will receive. Those who knock, the door will be open. And then he gave him a specific example of one of the types of things to be asking for. And it's there in your note sheet. <coughs> it's Luke eleven thirteen, And he says, if you then, though you are evil, talking to his men, your fallen people, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the what? Give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Who ask it. And so I, I'm, in, I'm just challenging, I encourage you, why don't you ask? Why don't you just have this conversation and say, I want everything you have. I want you to get, this is your birthright. Here's what I want you to catch. If you're a follower of Jesus today, this is your birthright. Like Jesus died so you could have the Holy Spirit. You understand that? He died so that he could move into your house and your life. This is why he died. And if we're not experiencing, what it means is we're wasting the death of Jesus. We're wasting the price that he paid for this relationship with you that he wants. And so I'm encouraging you to go before him and to ask. Now, when you ask, you need to be ready. Because often, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to, there's going to be something he wants to talk with you about. There's something in your life. In John chapter 14, you might want to write that reference down, John 14, check it out later. That, that Jesus says there's one kind of person and one kind of person only who will experience the presence of his spirit, the leading. He says it's the person who will obey him. That's what he says very clearly. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, don't be surprised if there's an area he says, I would love to come in, but we're going to have to deal with this area. Don't be surprised. In fact, there is a reason we call him the Holy Spirit. We often think that's just his first name. You know, like he's filling out the form, first name, Holy, last name, Spirit. It's not, it's not his name. It's, it's a descriptor. And so the Holy Spirit... He's all about what's right and good and true. He's all about uh, anything that's destructive, anything that's evil, anything that's damaging, anything that's uh, dysfunctional. That's what he heals. He brings his holiness where there is destruction, where there's damage. And so when you ask for the Holy Spirit to come in, don't be surprised if he comes into the, to the house, to, kind of, to, to your life, the house of your life, and he says, okay, I'm willing to come move in, but we need to, this back room here, we, we need to start working on this. There's something here. And, there's, and he's so gentle and he's so kind. Like when the Holy Spirit comes and starts to lead, he will not try to change you all at once, I promise you. He is very gentle. He'll just start with one room at a time. But he's also relentless and ruthless. That he doesn't say like, hey, here's this, this room, we need, to work. we need to open the door and see what's behind this door. And you're like, you know, I prefer not, how about this one? Like he doesn't go, okay, that's fine, I'm easy. And he's like, no, 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 it's this one. Because behind door number one, we're going to find an idol. And this idol, we can't, we can't move forward until we deal with this idol. Are you with me in this, okay? And so here's what I'm going to get. This is your birthright. It's why he died for you. He wants to move in. He wants to lead. He wants to guide. He wants to teach you how life's to be lived. But, but we need to ask, and then we need to follow his advice, right? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit uh, and the price you paid that he could come and live with us. God, this, this death, this atonement we talked about last week, that your spirit could come uh, and we could receive him and be changed and you would live with us. And so, Lord, we just pray today that in our lives you give us the courage to trust you, to really release control and to invite you in. And we pray that your spirit would come. He'd come now to our church, that you'd blow through our church, you blow through our life groups. You blow through our ministries in new ways. We pray that you would be blowing through our lives, to be cleaning out the old, the dry, the dusty, the stuffy, the polluted. Just be blowing out with a fresh wind of your spirit. That the, 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 the windows of our lives would be open. The fresh air would be coming in. And that we would become the people we're created to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad that we live on this side of the resurrection? Man, that we are not looking forward to like, wouldn't that be awesome? The day when the Holy Spirit would come and God would live. Wouldn't that be awesome? I wish I lived in those days. Man, we live in those days. We live in those days. And so the question is, are we going to take advantage of that? You know, are we, are we going to surrender our lives? Are we going we to invite him to come like we just sang? Are we, we going to follow his leadership? We're going to talk about this more in Galatians, not next week. Next week we're going to talk about about the Word and the Spirit, now that we're together. When we get to chapter 5, we're going to impact this a lot more. We're going to talk about what does it look like to follow the leading of the Spirit in our, in our life, and, and how do we recognize that, and how do we cooperate with Him. But until then, may, may God be teaching us as a church how, how to listen, how to pay attention, how to follow, how to move in this life that Jesus died to give us. The key, as we'll learn in Galatians, the key to the, to the freedom that we've called to live in, the key to freedom is learning to live and to follow the leading of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. May the Lord be with you this week. May He guide and direct you. May you experience His Spirit, His presence, His leading, His teaching, His guiding, uh, His answering to prayer. Uh, may, may you experience His life-changing power operating in and through you this week because absolutely it is your birthright. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>